Well, as we begin, let me invite you to do something that we don't do very often, especially for a sermon. Let me invite you to pull out your phones and go to this website, menti.com, and to use the code 37791123. We want to invite you to do a poll. Today's sermon is around fasting, and we want to get a pulse of what does fasting look like in the life of our church community? So it'll be a question, how often do you fast from food? Weekly, monthly, yearly, rarely, or never? This is an anonymous poll. For some of you, it goes, no way, I want my name up on there. It's an anonymous poll. We want to see what fasting looks like in the life of our community. So pull that out. I trust that uh, if you have your phones up, that's what you're working on while I'm preaching. So a lot to trust here. Well, a number of years ago, my wife and I had an opportunity for the first time to visit a restaurant called the Cheesecake Factory. If you've never been before, Cheesecake Factory is an American chain that is best known, I think, not only for the variety of cheesecake, but the variety of everything. So as we were seated in our booth, we were handed these huge menus. 21 pages, it was just large in size itself, 250 items on the menu. Took us 10 minutes just to read through the menu itself. And because it took us so long, because there's so many items, we kept asking each other, Sabin and I, what are you hungry for? What am I hungry for? What are you hungry for? And at the heart of our passage today, and of God's word that he's inviting us into, is that question, what are you hungry for? We're in week three of a sermon series here at Tenth called Spiritual Practices for a Digital Age, where we're looking at four ancient practices that have historically rooted followers of Jesus in Jesus, helping us to be with him, but also to become like him. And that these four ancient practices for us continue, even in our modern digital world, to be relevant and help to continue to root us in his presence. Today, we're going to be looking at the practice of fasting, at the heart of which is that question, what are you hungry for? Now, before I read our scripture for today, if you are someone who's a little nervous, just even hearing about the topic of fasting, maybe because of a complicated relationship with food, or your body, or because of a health condition, let me invite you, rather than checking out and leaning back, to lean in instead. I'm going to spend some time and specifically talk through some of these different areas and offer some advice and wisdom, but let me counsel, this sermon is very much for you too. In fact, if you're a little nervous, that might be God inviting you to lean in. Our passage for today is from Matthew 6, beginning in verse 16. If you have a Bible, physical or digital, you can turn to that now or you can follow along on the screen behind me. These are the words of Jesus. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show that they're fasting. But truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. 
and your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word and your spirit. And that both are here present with us right now. And the invitation to respond to this great question, what are we hungry for? Lord, I I pray that through the movement of your spirit and your word in us, that we would become a people who are hungrier for you and hungry for the things that you're hungry for. Lord, may you move among us. May we experience your presence today through your word. Amen. The passage that I just read from Matthew 6 is a part of the most famous sermon, perhaps most famous teaching of Jesus, called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount begins in chapter 5 and continues through chapter 6 and beyond. And the Sermon on the Mount is about what does it look like to be a people of blessing? You know, those beatitudes, blessed be, blessed be, blessed be. To experience God's blessing in our own life and to experience God's blessing in and through the world, to be a part of that. Or maybe another way of saying it, what does it look like to experience the kingdom of God in our lives and to be kingdom people in the world? What does that look like? And as we enter into the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus moving from the Beatitudes. Then in chapter 6, he introduces us to three spiritual practices or three ways of being in the world that reflect God's kingdom into our lives and into the world. We read first about almsgiving, which some people call charity. Second, Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Seems pretty straightforward so far. Almsgiving, charity, and prayer. And then he entered us to a third practice. Well, he didn't introduce because they were already, his audience was already well aware of this third practice, but for some of us, we're being introduced to it, to the practice of fasting. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Three key practices for what it looks like to experience and to offer blessing in the world. Some of you may be thinking, okay, I get charity, I get prayer, but fasting, really? Fasting for Jesus was a key spiritual practice, a way that we experience the blessing of God and we offer blessing to the world. Are you sure? Yes. In fact, Jesus doesn't say if you fast, but he says when you fast. In the passage twice, he says when you fast. Now, as we begin talking about fasting, let me be really clear that the primary motivation, the primary push for this sermon is that fasting is primarily about fasting from food. There are other ways that we can fast, and we'll talk about some of those, but for Jesus primarily, and the scriptures primarily, fasting is from food. We'll talk about some other aspects that it involves as well, but by and far, fasting predominantly involves food. So what is fasting? Maybe let's start with what fasting isn't. Fasting isn't dieting. Seems very obvious, right? When we diet, it's all about shaping how people see us, right? 
Some of you may diet for health reasons. It's great, you should do that. But fasting is predominantly not dieting. It's not about, or it's not dieting. It's not about shaping how people see us. Fasting is about shaping how we see others and the world. Shaping how we see God. Shaping how we see God's world and shaping how we see ourselves. So whereas fasting is about shaping our bodies to look a certain way, to reflect and change how people see us, fasting is about shaping and changing our own eyes, giving us new lenses to see God differently, to see his world differently, and to see us. Fasting also isn't a productivity tool. Some of you have heard of high-level CEOs doing intermittent fasting to create in themselves more energy and more productivity and more efficiency throughout their day. Those are all great things. And if you've practiced fasting before, you'll notice that sometimes it does that in us. It's primarily not about efficiency and productivity and about what we can get out of it. This is what fasting is all about. Fasting is about what we are hungry for. It's about cultivating in us a deeper hunger for God and the things that God is hungry for. Namely, and especially, those who are in need. Fasting helps us to hunger for God and the things that God is hungry for. Now, whereas fasting is widely practiced in the world today and historically, in the West, it is probably the most neglected spiritual practice. Now, I invited us earlier as a community, as a church, to respond to a poll. And I'll bet you that our statistical numbers are higher than churches on average in North America. But if we're anything like the 9 a.m. service, it may surprise us what fasting looks like in our church community. Can we pull that up right now? So how often do you fast from food? Again, weekly, monthly, yearly, rarely, or never. 10% of our community, this is the 9 a.m. and the 11 a.m. combined now, 10% would say weekly. 4% would say monthly, 8% would say yearly, 42% would say rarely, and 35% would say never. So that's 77% of our community who would say very rarely, if ever, do we participate in fasting. And if that's you, I do not want you to experience any guilt. It's an opportunity for us to see ourselves accurately, but also an opportunity for us to think and reflect together. Because fasting, not only for Jesus, before the life of the church for 1,800 years has been one of, if not the most practiced spiritual practices. That may surprise you. The Didache, the, one of the earliest teaching documents in the life of the church, said that followers of Jesus were to fast twice a week on Wednesdays and Fridays. And fasting was so common in the early church that when the Roman Empire became Christianized, they actually had to create laws and rules around keeping people from fasting too much. Oh, how things have changed, haven't they? <laughs> I don't think we have to create any laws to keep people from fasting today. And even 250 years ago, the famous preacher and teacher John Wesley, he said that he would not ordain pastors unless they too were fasting every week, twice a week. Confession, I would not have been ordained by John Wesley. <laughs> I usually fast once a week. But I, I mention all of this to say 
that for not only Jesus, but the life of the church for about 1,800 years, fasting was very much a regular practice. And in the church globally, especially the global south, fasting is very much a part of normal practice. Maybe some of you who came from the global south or have visited churches in the global south, you'd say that's absolutely true. And something happened around the Enlightenment, around 250 years ago in our Western world that shaped the way that we see each other, the way that we see ourselves. The Enlightenment became with it a a new way of thinking. Not just that God is about our whole person and we as humans are whole embodied people, but that primarily among our senses and our bodily organs is the mind. And the most important part of our body is our brain and the fact that we think. And this is embodied in the thinking of Rene Descartes, someone who I had an opportunity to read and study in university at UBC. And this phrase, I think, therefore I am. That our being, our humanity, is closely and intimately tied to us as thinking creatures, as thinking beings. And by and far, I think our modern digital world has carried in that enlightenment thinking. Even though I'd say in some places and sometimes we talk about embodied practices, right? Mindfulness, breathing. I'd say our world has continued, if not leaned heavier into that enlightened sense that the brain is the primary organ through which we perceive the world and is central to our identity as humans. Let me give you some examples. How many hours a day do you sit at a desk staring at a computer? Disengaged from your legs, disengaged from most of your arms. How often are you in a group of people surrounded by other humans and you have your phone open texting others? Or maybe the most disembodied practice in our digital modern world, virtual reality. Scares me actually that Apple is now creating a VR headset because it means that most of us will probably have them in a couple years. Virtual reality is the embodiment of disembodiment that we can live in the world as strictly digital beings and that we can perceive and live in the world strictly through our eyes and our mind. So what do we do? As followers of Jesus, how do we live as embodied beings? It's a great question. I think for us, another question too is, if the church for 1,800 years has been practicing fasting and in the, in the North American kind of global Western modern church, we don't, what does that mean about us as well? What are some of the influences that are shaping us personally that resist us from entering into fasting or maybe church communities across Canada and America? A question just to hold on to as we go through this sermon. And I think for us, fasting in our modern digital world among with the practice next week that Pastor Ashley is going to talk about, in-person connections, I think are among, among the most necessary and pertinent of all the spiritual practices to invite us into a full way of being in Jesus. To see not just ourselves as worshiping minds, but as worshiping humans who are fully embodied and fully loved, coming with our whole selves before him. So today we're going to look at the practice of fasting. Before we do, I promise at the beginning of the sermon that some of you are feeling a little nervous today. 
maybe because of a complicated relationship with food or your body or your health, let me invite you to lean in. I share that a number of years ago, I found that I was becoming increasingly cold in situations that didn't seem to merit it. I shared this with Sabin, my wife, and she said I should go get checked out by my doctor. I, I did. We had a number of tests off your specialist. We found that my ferritin, my, the iron in my body, was critically low. And so a part of my health care plan, my recovery plan, was actually to give up fasting for a season. I had been in the practice of fasting once a week, and due to specialists, a part of that was for a season, for actually a number of years, to give up the practice of fasting. Some of you are here and you have health conditions where for you, fasting will not be the right practice at this time. And if that's the case, embrace that. For some of you as well, due to a complicated relationship with food or a history of shame around your bodies, fasting also will not be for you. There's a, a podcast called The Rule of Life Podcast by Practicing the Way. I've been listening to it. It's probably one of the best resources today on spiritual practices, and especially the practice of fasting. There's not a lot of great resources out there on fasting, so let me commend that one to you, The Rule of Life Podcast by Practicing the Way. There's a number of podcasts strictly on fasting. And in one of them, they interview Dr. Allison Cook. Dr. Allison Cook is a Christian, a therapist, a writer who has worked in clinics with people with eating disorder. She's also studied the history of fasting, especially among women in the church. And in the podcast, she offered a lot of advice, but especially around the area of fasting for people who have, again, a history of shame or difficulty um, in how they see their bodies or even a history of abuse around their bodies. She offered this wisdom, which I thought was so helpful. If your body has been abused or shamed, which has perhaps led to a certain view of your body or a difficult relationship with food and fasting, or with food, then fasting may not be the right practice for you at this time. Because fasting is such an embodied practice, it can open or reopen unhealthy relationships with food or with your body. So you may need to take time to heal and repair that wound. To give yourself permission to say, not at this time. This doesn't mean that fasting doesn't matter or that's not a good practice because someday you may be able to bring it back in. So if that's you, hear this permission as we go and we lean in into some uncomfortable ways around fasting because many of us don't practice it. If you can relate with that relationship with food or your body or your health, please, we'll talk about some other ways that we can engage later in other ways that we can fast, but please just hear the invitation and the permission to say no. But I think for most of us here, fasting is going to be a gift. It's going to be a place where we experience two things. One, where we cultivate a deeper hunger for God. And two, where we cultivate a hunger for the things that God is hungry for, namely those who are in need. So we want to look at the two of these together. Let's look first at how fasting cultivates a deeper hunger for God. Let's enter into that passage together. From Matthew 6. 
When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Two things we maybe notice there. The first one is that fasting is primarily about God. That number of people around Jesus' time were using fasting as a way to garner attention and spiritual respect from their communities. They were kind of using it like a modern way of dieting, right? A way of shaping how others see them. And Jesus is saying, actually, our practice of fasting is primarily towards God. Not primarily towards and for one another, but primarily towards God. And second, and this one really surprised me, that there's a reward in fasting. May it cause us to ask, what is that reward? What's the reward of fasting? Well, I think we need to remember where we are in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 6, right before Jesus teaches about fasting, he teaches us to pray how to cultivate a deeper intimacy and relationship with God. And right afterwards, he's teaching around not to invest our time and energy and lives in earthly treasures, but to invest ourselves in lasting eternal treasure. And I think a part of the reward that Jesus is inviting us into in fasting is to invest in an eternal treasure. That to not hunger and thirst for food primarily, but to hunger and thirst for something that is lasting. Not something that's momentary, but something that will continue. To hunger and thirst for a deeper relationship with God, just as we do in prayer, right? We lean into our relationship with God. The Lord teaches us, Jesus teaches us to pray with our mouths. And I think Jesus is telling us that fasting teaches our bodies to pray to do something that the author Scott McKnight called body talk, which means to pray with our bodies. There is something, there is an alarm system built in to the practice of fasting, isn't there? What is it? It's that growling and groaning of your stomach. If you've ever been hungry before, and I don't think there's a person here who has not been hungry, you'll know when you're hungry, your body has an alarm system that's designed to get your attention. A couple weeks ago, I was doing with Sabin a Q&A after our 11 a.m. service. And somebody very astutely asked this incredible question. They said, how do we live our daily lives more aware of God's presence? Such a good, such a good question. How many of us don't want to live a deeper awareness of God's presence in our lives? And I didn't say this initially, but I wish I had. One of the ways that we can do this is through fasting. As I mentioned a moment ago, fasting and hunger has this built-in alarm system designed to get our attention. Designed to tell us, our stomachs to tell our bodies, I am hungry for food. And when we are hungry and when we fast, the opportunity is to turn our hunger pains into hunger prayers. When our stomach tries to get our attention and growls, and says, I'm hungry for food, to offer that as a prayer to God. Lord, I am hungry for food. 
And I'm thinking about lasagna I'm going to have for dinner. But I'm actually hungrier for you. Can you draw close to me right now? And in the distractions of our busy days and busy lives, it's designed to keep our attention. We may be in the middle of a work project and we hear the growl and it gets our attention. As we hear the hunger pains to turn them into hunger prayers. Lord, I am hungry, but I want to be hungrier for you. Come and meet me in this moment. Fasting teaches us to become hungry for God by getting our attention and turning those hunger pangs into hunger prayers. Fasting also teaches us to be hungry for God through his will. This is what Jesus says in John 4. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. To become a people who are hungry for God and to do his work in the world. Thinking a lot these days around some of you who have desk jobs or jobs outside, and you're struggling to connect your workplace with your faith. And I think fasting is such a great practice to make that connection. That we become hungry not only for God's presence, but to do his will. If you're an accountant doing numbers, Lord, I long to do your will in faithful accounting. If you're a teacher, Lord, I long to do your will by loving these students and teaching them well. And through our hunger to turn those hunger pains into hunger prayers, Lord, help me to be faithful in my work. That my nine to five job or whenever you work becomes a place where we do God's will. Fasting also cultivates a deeper hunger for God by helping us in temptation. In the history of the church, there's been a very close connection between the practice of fasting, a healthy practice of fasting, and a healthy understanding of our own personal sexuality and even fight against sexual temptation. That as we learn to say no to fasting, Sorry, as we learn to say no to food, don't say no to fasting. As we learn to say no to food for a season, something that's good. We say no to something that's good to say yes to something that's better, namely God. As we learn to say no in these certain times and areas, we build a sense of resistance, of spiritual resistance for those other times in our lives where we feel temptation and we too need to say no. Just as fasting helps us to learn to say no and to draw closer to God, in those times of temptation where we need to say no, in those times to draw close to God too. St. Basil the Great, could you imagine having the nickname the Great? It was a a very important church father. He helped to craft the Nicene Creed, one of the most important documents, probably the most important document for the church outside of scripture itself. He helped to, to write the Nicene Creed. He wrote this around fasting, one of my favorite quotes. He says, Fasting gives birth to prophets. It strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawmakers wise. It's a safeguard of the soul, a stabilizing companion to the body, a weapon for the brave, a discipline for champions. Fasting knocks over temptations. It anoints for godliness. It's a companion for sobriety, the crafter of a sound mind. In wars, she fights bravely. In peace, it teaches tranquility, sanctifies the Nazarite, and it perfects the priest. 
fasting brings wisdom to our bodies and teaches us to be prayerful, not just with our words and our thoughts, but even with our stomachs. Teaches us to hunger for God. Second, fasting teaches us to be hungry for the things that God is hungry for. In a famous passage from Isaiah, God, through the prophet Isaiah, says these words. Isaiah 58. Is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry? To provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. For God, there's a deep connection between the practice of fasting and the practice of generosity. That fasting is not a self-serving exercise only about our relationship with God, although it does do that, but it shapes and changes our relationship with others. That as we experience, as we choose hunger for ourselves, we create in ourselves a sense of empathy for those who do not choose hungry, hunger every day. John, uh, Tyler Staten is a pastor at Bridgetown Church in Portland. Pastor Ken and I had an opportunity to, to meet and to talk with him last fall. And he says this, through fasting, I willingly discomfort my body in a way that other people are unwillingly discomforted. It's going to be very hard to develop empathy without a sacrificial practice by which I'm training myself to love the poor. Fasting is about our relationship with God, but it's not only about our relationship with God. In fasting, we learn to choose hunger in order to empathize with those who do not choose to be hungry. To remember and to recognize there are people in this church community sitting here today who do not choose hunger. There are people in our city who do not choose hunger, or who do not choose hunger, and people in our world who do not choose hunger as well. And we willingly discomfort our bodies to create empathy and to create connection and kinship with those who do not choose hunger. To remember that fasting is not just a spiritual activity, but very much a practical activity that does something in us and in the world around us. Augustine, the early church father, says this. This is so good. He says in his commentary on the book of Isaiah, the passage that I just read, specifically these words, break your bread for those who are hungry, said Isaiah. Do not believe that fasting suffices. Fasting chastises you, but it does not refresh the other. Do you wish your prayers to reach God? Give it two wings, fasting and almsgiving. And for most of church history, there has, the practice of fasting and almsgiving have been deeply tied and connected. That as people were taught to fast, they were taught as well to calculate how much they would have otherwise spent in food that day to set that money aside and to give it directly to meet the needs of the poor or to give it to someone who is doing that. And for 1,800 years in the Western world, the primary group that met the needs of those who are in need, especially around food and housing, 
is the church. I remember when I was in university, I, I really didn't have a lot to give in my tithe, but I, I felt a deep need and desire to learn the practice of generosity in my own life. I, I didn't come from a, a church background and really wanted to learn to practice generosity well. And so I started fasting by giving up one or two meals a day. And I would calculate, I would also give up food and I would give up coffee. That was actually the more challenging one was coffee. <laughs> and I would calculate how much I would have spent on food and coffee that day and set it aside. Sometimes I would immediately give it right away or I would give it at the end of the month and I would give it to an organization that I felt was meeting practical needs in my city. Most of the time I gave it to my church who I felt was doing that. That for us, even if we feel like we don't have a lot to offer, fasting is one of those ways that we can cultivate a deeper sense of generosity in our own lives. And that tying, that marrying of generosity helps us not to over-spiritualize fasting. That we choose hunger, but to remember that there are many in our world who do not choose hunger every day. And if you need one more biblical passage of the, the deep connection between the way of Jesus and the way of generosity... John the Baptist, his first message was all about repent and turn. The kingdom of God is coming. Jesus is coming. What should we do? What does is, what is repentance look like? He says this in Luke 3. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Fasting helps us to connect and reconnect our hunger for God. But remember that it's not all about us in the end and teaches us to become hungry for the places and the people that God is hungry for and puts in our bodies a sacrificial practice where we learn to empathize with those who are in need and to respond generously. If you're here and you're going, Craig, I'm sold. I want to learn to develop a practice of fasting in my life, or I want to learn more. How do I start? Let me offer three suggestions. The first one is to start small. Some of you may be thinking, early church, they practice twice a week. I'm going to practice fasting every day. <laughs> Don't do that, <laughs> please. All the doctors in the room are like, thank you. <laughs> start small. If you have not been in a regular practice of fasting, Start with one meal. One meal once a week. If it's breakfast, if it's lunch, practice with one meal. Take the money you would have spent on that one meal if you go out for lunch or even if you pack a lunch and set it aside. Or give it right away, if you like, to a specific group or person to meet a specific need. So start small. And then over time to build that capacity as your Fasting muscle grows. So first, start small. Second, if you have a health condition, if you relate to body shame or have a history of abuse or a complicated relationship with food, some of those topics we talked about earlier, you may not practice fasting from food, but practice fasting in another way. Let me offer one maybe creative solution. In a digital world where we're addicted to our phones, maybe once a week, give up technology. And every time you pull out your phone or touch your phone in your pocket, put a dollar in a jar. 
and give that money to meet a practical need within our city, in our church, and in our community. Talk to friends, talk to your life groups, find creative ways if fasting from food is not for you in this time of learning to cultivate a deeper hunger for God and a hunger for those who are in need. Third, if you forget, it's okay. If you want to start a practice of fasting, maybe next Friday, and you forget on your first week, don't become discouraged. Just start the moment you remember. And then pick it up again next week. And to remember that ultimately fasting isn't about checking a box or doing a practice, but it's an invitation to trust God. To remember that in our weakness and in our failures that God is strong. That we don't hunger and thirst for food and drink, but we actually hunger and thirst more for God's presence. And when we fail, when we stumble, it's an opportunity to allow God to draw us close. So start small. If you're not able to fast from food, fast from something else. Allow it to draw you closer to God and in a a practice of generosity. And third, if you fail, don't worry. Draw close to God. Do you long to experience more of God's presence in your daily life? To hunger and thirst for his presence and to see him. And to hunger and thirst and respond to the areas and people to whom God hungers and loves. And perhaps fasting is for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, fasting is all about you. It's not about checking a box. It's not even about self-discipline. It's about drawing close to your presence. It's about coming dependent on you. And we thank you that in this space that you have fed us through your spirit and through your word. I pray as we leave here today that we would be hungry for you. And remember that you are hungry to feed us just as you are hungry to feed the world in practical ways as well. Jesus, come. We long for more of your presence. Amen.